Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Y'all okay? A little tired? Yeah, a little tired. Like, yeah, yeah. Woo-hoo. We stayed up here till uh, 9.30 last night playing some cornhole uh, with our men's event. It was amazing, a ton of fun. We're going to do it again in the fall, and uh, we'd love for everybody in here to kind of come and be a part of that. Uh, I do genuinely love Sunday mornings. Sundays are the best day of the week, hands down. And you might say, Matt, you got to say that because you're the pastor and this is what you do. But no, I don't actually have to say that at all. Uh, I genuinely believe it. We have brothers and sisters around the world that cannot do what we are doing right now. They are persecuted, uh, they are killed, they are tortured for their faith, and here in America, we get the opportunity to do this. So let's not take it for granted, you know, it's like sometimes we're like, man, I'll just go to church another time, you know, or I'll watch it online. You know what, it's, man, it's a privilege to gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason why we're here. So if you're a first time visitor with us, welcome. Uh, we're here because Jesus is here. And uh, that's why that's what we're doing. Um, today, we are gonna be in the book of 1 Peter chapter two. So grab your Bibles, grab your phones, 1 Peter chapter two. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to do so, not because of what I have to say, but because of what God has to say. You can write something down that may, you know, spark you a verse, and then you get to go back later and say, okay, God, what were you trying to say to me here? And you can study that out. I love taking notes. Last week, we had the opportunity to hear Cedric Beckles. Uh, If you were here, he, man, blessed us with a great word, and he talked about the idea of being holy as God is holy, right? He taught out of 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, 1 Peter is an amazing book. I think it's four or five chapters long. You probably could read it in a matter of, I don't know, 15 minutes, and I'd encourage you to do it this week. It's powerful. And so uh, he spent the time saying, hey, look, man, get rid of sin and fall in love with God's word and be holy as God is holy, right? That's what we're called to do as Christians. And, you know, just listening to that message and then reading a little bit further, I was like, you know what? I want to take a few moments uh, this morning and kind of build from that and kind of take what Peter was telling us to do and just go to the next thing, go to the next thing. And so if you're taking notes, Today's message, if I was going to give it a title, it's this, our conduct communicates. Our conduct, the way I behave, the way I act as a Christ follower, what I do, how I treat people, am I kind or am I not, uh, it communicates. Our conduct communicates. And we're going to see that here in 1 Peter chapter 2 here in just a minute. And, and, you know, thinking about it, I believe our conduct communicates in a lot of different ways. But there are two primary things that come to my mind when I think about that. Number one, it's evidence that I'm saved. My conduct is evidence that I'm following Christ. What does God's word say in Matthew? It talks about how we're to bear fruit according to our repentance, right? That we're supposed to, when we repent and ask Christ into our lives, that we're supposed to live a life according to that. Right? We're supposed to live change. We're supposed to live different. Right? First John, you know, lots of, lots of goodness in, in this. He says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God. The one who does not love does not know God. Right? It goes on and says, hey, if anyone says I love God but hates my brother, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. So the way that I treat my brothers and sisters, the way I treat people, the, the fruit that I bear in my life is, is evidence if I'm following Christ or not. Now listen, we're gonna get it wrong. We're not perfect. We're being sanctified and we're becoming more and more Christ-like as we come along. I'm not saying that we live perfectly, 
but we should, there should be a pattern in our life of living according to scripture. Our conduct communicates, right? And then the second way that, um, that I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about is this, it's a witness to the world. Our conduct communicates and it's a witness to the world. Do you know that, uh, you know, as Christ followers, we're standing on the stage and the world is watching us. Whether we like it or not, when we call ourselves a Christian, the, the world is watching us and they actually expect something of us. You know, when I was writing this, this message and I was thinking about this whole, you know, idea of standing on a stage and people are watching us, it reminded me of uh, back in, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago before I came to Southcrest, I was, I was in a band, okay? I toured around in a band for 10 years. We had the time of our lives. We did all kinds of crazy things. And, you know, when you're in a rock band, it's not so much the music that you play, as much as it is the image that you have, y'all. When you're in a rock and roll band, it's about how you look. It's about how you carry yourself. It's about rock and roll, man, on and off the stage. And so, man, we were like, guys, we gotta be a rock and roll band. We gotta look the part. We gotta not only look the part, but when we show up to the venue, we gotta roll up in style, okay? We can't be coming to the show in mom's 1985 conversion van, and th- even though that's what we did uh, to get you know, to the show, excuse me, to the shows. We wanna roll up in a bus, okay? When you, when anybody like to go to concerts, right? Anybody? Yeah, all right, we got some music lovers in here. You know what I'm talking about where you see backstage, you see all the buses lined up, you're like, these guys know what's going on. They know what they're doing, guys, and we gotta, we gotta look the part. So early on in our band days, we, we go to San Antonio and we play this two-week event and we make a bunch of money. I mean a bunch of money. We were like, dude, we're buying us a bus. Here we go. So we go home, we get online, Nashville Bus Company, type it in, in the website, you know, and we start looking at inventory. We're like, okay, let's start at the top. $850,000, are you kidding, we, we, no, that's impossible, are you kidding me? All right, we gotta go down, okay, half a million dollars, okay, no, can't do that one, man, we're not, you know, we're not that level, okay, quarter of a million dollars, okay, it's more reasonable, but no, that's impossible, $100,000, okay, this one's like from 1965 with a million miles on it, we can't do that, all right, so anyway, we scroll to the bottom of the list and we find a shuttle bus, all right, <laughs> you know them people mover buses at like the airport, Somebody had taken it and pulled all the seats out and put in like lounge seating and bunks in the back, $20,000. We're like, done, sold. We drive to Nashville, we give them the money and, uh, and we're like, okay, we got a bus, man. And it's like old too, it's like 1991 or I don't know, it's old. And uh, you know, so we get into it, we try to start it up to leave the parking lot and it does not start, it should have been an indicator, but we're like, we don't care, man, we got a bus. We're ready to rock. And so long story short, it becomes a money pit. I mean, every time we come home with this thing, it's like $800, $1,000. I mean, it's just like constant money in, you know, repairing it. So we're in Pennsylvania and uh, it breaks down on the side of the road and it is done, okay? I mean, for real done. I'm not talking about like, man, let's just get it home or get a mechanic, it's, it's done. The only problem is, is we have a show in Kentucky the very next day. We're in Pennsylvania. Long way to get to Kentucky, all right? So it's about lunchtime. We go to a restaurant, man. We're like, what do we do? Uh, We got to get there. So we're like researching, man, van rentals, anything we can get. There is nothing, nothing within a two-hour radius of where we are, all right? So except for one thing, a U-Haul box truck. 
U-Haul box truck two hours away. We convince our waitress to quit her job on the spot and drive two of us two hours to get a U-Haul. And she does. She quits her job. I was like, cool, let's do it, you know. So they drive two guys over to get the U-Haul. And then the rest of us, I don't know, four or five of us stay back. We're just waiting around the bus, you know. And was like, okay, we got to wait. So we're like, you know what? We're going to gut this thing because if we're leaving it here, we're taking everything out of it that we can get our hands on. So we're like unbolting seats and and anyway, the U-Haul finally shows up and it really didn't dawn on us the fact that, you know what? Only two people can fit inside the U-Haul in the front. <laughs> so of, of course, five of us get in the box of the truck, okay? This is highly illegal, but man, we gotta get to this show. It's super late at night. So we throw all of the stuff in the back of the box, you know, the box and uh, we hitch up the, you know, the, uh, the trailer. And we're like, man, how are we going to breathe in this thing? You know, so we prop open the door and it's like, well, there's those exhaust pipes right here. We're going to die of carbon monoxide poisoning. So we go to Walmart, right, sensible, and get carbon monoxide detectors because that's what you would do if you were in the back of a box truck, you know, about to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. So anyway, we start making our way and every gas stop was hilarious because it was like, you know, like five guys walking out of the button. <laughs> Nothing to see here, guys. It's okay. We're a rock and roll band. Don't worry about it. So anyway, we, I mean, just drive through the night to get there. And we're not talking about, you know, a small little coffee shop gig where we're sitting on stools and just playing. We, I mean, we, we were the band to play this outdoor arena. I mean, it's huge, thousands of people coming. You know, motocross is right in front of the stage. They're doing crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, our faces are on, the, are on the flyers around the city. You know, they're coming to see us, you know. And I'm like, man, this is embarrassing. This is not how you roll up to a concert. No, this is the opposite of what we're supposed to do. And of course we get there and promoters are there, the people paying us thousands of dollars to be there and like the bands and, and all the other stuff, they're all there. And here we come like in a U-Haul. I can only imagine, you know, rolling up the door like we're here. Hi, everybody. And uh, I could only imagine what they're thinking. Like, this is not what we expected. We expected something different, you know? And when it comes to our faith and when it comes to us and our conduct, right? We're standing on the stage of, and the world is watching us. They expect something of us. And you know, I, I, I find it now more, more than ever, it, it feels like the world's just waiting to point their finger at us Christians and say, see, I knew you were a fraud. See, I knew Christianity. I, I knew you were no different than us. Our conduct communicates. It's a witness to the world. First Peter chapter two, if you got your Bibles, uh, verse 11, here's what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, right? That's what Cedric talked about, right? First Peter one talks about that, which rage war against your souls. Next one. Live such good lives among the pagans, Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Our conduct communicates. Peter's telling us that we should live according to the repentance that we have and according to God and his word. And that when people are watching, just ready to accuse us of doing something terrible, they actually see our life, the fruit that we bear, and ultimately, they, they are drawn into a relationship with God and they end up glorifying God. 
Our conduct communicates. You know, the world is, is, is begging us to be and to act like Christians. And they, they don't even know it yet, but they want us to. The world, obviously, if you watch the news and social media, man, we, we are in the middle of a lot of unrest, are we not? Augustine says, you know, my heart is, un- is at unrest until it finds rest in you. And I'm telling you, man, you can grasp at anything and everything all you want, but until they find the Lord, they're going to be restless. We should act. Our conduct communicates. Now, um, I'm going to kind of skip forward a little bit, but I'm going to kind of give you 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, he goes on to talk about our conduct in some social settings, right? He talks about us submitting to the government, right? People are watching you. So, hey, man, we got to submit to the authorities that are in place, you know? Listen, I don't care who you voted for. We have a president, and we need to pray for him. He's He's our leader in our country, and he needs us Christians to be praying for him and lifting him up. Right? I know there's lots of division around that. It's a hot topic. It's, it's, we are highly divided when it comes to politics, man. But listen, as Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to submit and to pray for our government. Right? And then he goes on and talks about our employer, how important it is to, as employees to submit to our employer. People are watching. Our conduct matters. And then it goes on to talk about our relationship with our spouses in marriage. Right, that we're to submit to one another, that some may be one, that, that people are watching our marriages. They're looking at us. Now, he kind of sums up 1 Peter chapter 3, if you want to turn there real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3. He kind of carries on this idea of our conduct. Right? He says in verse 8, finally all of you, okay? Finally all of you. So he's, he, again, he's wrapping it up. He's saying, hey, finally, hey, look, your conduct matters. Your conduct communicates. Finally, all of you. He's talking to us Christians, right? He wrote this letter to Christ followers and he's saying all of us, hey, listen, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, Right, so he gives us a list. And I'm gonna take a few minutes and just kind of break this list down if I can. You know, when I read the Bible and come to some lists, sometimes I'm like, okay, this li- okay, yeah, you kind of just kind of flow through it. And you're like, all right, yeah, this is, this is a bad list. Don't do these things. And then it's a good list. You're like, okay, yeah, do these things. We kind of just quickly kind of read through it. But I wanna break it down just for a couple of minutes and go through each one of them. The first one he says to be is like-minded. As Christians inside the church, All of us are called to be like-minded. What does that mean? It simply means to live in harmony with one another, right? As Christians, we should have the same basic aim of serving and loving God and serving and loving other people. Y'all, it's vitally important as Christ followers that we unify around these basic principles. You know, culture tells us that individualism rules, do your own thing, be independent, get yours, I'm going to get mine, right? And then here comes along Jesus. He's teaching this whole idea of unity. Peter's teaching this idea of unity. Now, he's not saying uniformity. Yes, we're, we're not all going to be robots, you know, walking through life. No, we're all going to have our own preferences, and we're going to look a little different, and we're going to sound a little different, and we're going to, you know, we're going to have our own preferences and opinions about things, and that's fine. That's the diversity of the body. But around the same central aim and the same central ideas of what we're supposed to be about, y'all, we need to unify around that idea. To be like-minded is so very, very important. You know, this idea of harmony, you know, the band was just up here, man, they were rocking, they were doing awesome. 
you know, and Seth's singing, and all of a sudden they get to the chorus, right? And uh, Seth is singing the melody, and then you got two or three or four background vocals, and they're singing something different. One might be on the third, one might be on the fifth, they're singing different notes. But all of them together are in harmony going towards the same thing, and it's a beautiful sound, is it not? Was it not awesome? It's this idea to be like-minded. Y'all, the church, we need to stop being divided. Let's stop pointing our fingers at the other churches down the road and say, well, man, I can't believe they do it this way, or I can't believe they do it that way. Well, that looks terrible. You know, let, man, we, got it. we have to stop it. Those are our brothers and sisters, and now more than ever, the Christians around the world have to unify. We have to unify. We have to be like-minded. Number two, he tells us to be sympathetic. Sympathetic, it's a compound word. Sim means together, pathos means feelings. It means to have fellow feelings collectively. It's to understand. It means to suffer with. To enter fellow Christians' experiences and suffer and rejoice with them. I loved what Luke did here a few minutes ago. He prayed for those people that are sick. You know, uh, it's sympathetic. You know, we need to, when's, when's the last time we've done that? When's the last time you were so concerned about a fellow Christian that you felt with them? That, that when they got a new job or when they got a raise or when their son is healed, that man, we rejoice and man, we are so happy with our fellow Christian. When others feel pain, I feel pain. That's what we're supposed to do. When others are rejoicing, I should rejoice. You know, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I heard it said, another way of putting it is your pain in my heart. Your pain in my heart. You know why? Why why should we do that? Matt, why should I waste my time? You know, the culture again tells me individualism. It means independency. I'm not gonna burden myself with your issues. I'm gonna go do me, right? Here's why. Because God has been rich in mercy towards me I'm going to live a life of rich, that's rich in mercy towards others, right? That's what we're called to do. We're called to be sympathetic to our brothers and sisters here. Have you ever been going through something in your life and you're like, man, I just can't wait to get to church and talk to my friend. I, I'm really, I need to get some advice. I'm going through something here at the house and I'm struggling. And you run up to that person and you're like, hey man, I'm going through this and, and you're just spilling your guts out to them and the whole time they're like checking their watch and they're looking at their phone and they're looking over your shoulder. And they're like, okay, man, man that's tough, bro. You should, you should talk to somebody about that, see ya. You know, and they're gone. It almost feels, I've been in that situation, you know, and it almost feels worse. Like I feel, now I feel terrible, more, more bad. I don't know, you know, it's, it's awful. Versus talking to somebody that actually cares. You know, you run up to somebody and, and they're just locked eyes with you, Right? They're hanging on every word. You can tell by their body language that they're hurting with you. And then all of a sudden, you almost feel better just sharing it, right? That's, that's, a, that's a principle in God's word. Bear one another's burdens, right? Bear one another's burdens. You almost feel better just by somebody listening and being sympathetic towards you. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's saying, hey, have the strength of character to set your own personal preferences, your own personal feelings aside and enter into the, in, enter into the suffering of other believers. Be sympathetic, be sympathetic. The next one is uh, love one another, right? If you study that word out, it means brotherly love. It means Philadelphia, you got that, you got that slide? 
yeah, boom. Brotherly love, Philadelphia, basically means affections of a family that come with deep bonds. Affections of a family that come with deep bonds. You know, Christian community, we, sh- we should be a people that don't have the same last name, that don't have any blood ties, that look different, sound different from all over the parts of the country and around the world, that we come together and have the same affections for each other that are expected among brothers and sisters. This is the pinnacle of what God calls us to as Christ followers. That's love. It's love. What what does Paul teach us? He says that, man, nothing matters strong language. Nothing matters outside of faith expressing itself in what? Love. Nothing matters outside of faith expressing itself in love. He says, man, if you don't have love, you're nothing but a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. He's basically calling you annoying. Hey man, you're annoying. If you don't have love, you bother me, you know, kind of thing. Uh, You know, and so that's what he's teaching us here, man. And so brotherly love, Eli and Jackson, man, my two sons, they are best friends with each other. They do everything together and they love to fight. They, they got MMA gloves and man, they're actually stinking good at it. They watch YouTube videos. They're like, dad, I found a new choke hold and I made Jackson tap out. It was awesome. And, he's, and Jackson's like, I got Eli in an arm bar and almost dislocated his shoulder. It was awesome, you know? And so, and they, they just love it, man. They're best friends. And of course, sometimes they argue and fight like I did with my brother when we grew up. But I promise you, if, you, if there's a bully that ever enters in, in the room, that you're gonna see them bow up and protect. They love each other because of the bond. And that's what we're supposed to have in the church. That's what he's telling us to do. Number four is be compassionate. That's the next on the list. And this was a really interesting study, right? It means to have good bowels. It means to have healthy bowels. The, the Greek words you splinknos and you're like, did I'm reading that right? It's like, I was reading it like good bowels, what the heck? You know, and so that's what it means, right? The Greeks believed that your inner organs were the seat of your, are the seat of your emotions and your intentions right here. It's where we get phrases like, I got a gut feeling about this. My heart goes out to you, right? Ah, that makes me sick to my stomach. Intestinal fortitude, you know, uh, all these things that we get and all of that comes from this idea of having good bowels and being compassionate means this, that you're moved to the deepest depths of your inner being for someone. Now, Compassion and sympathy and empathy, they're all very closely related words, but compassion takes it a step further. It basically means you take your feelings and turn them into actions. That now you are trying not only to feel with somebody, you're now trying to alleviate that suffering. You remember when the tornado came through here in Noonan? Many of us, many of you in here were like, I'm going to help, right? Your compassion moved you to action. And that's what we're called to do, especially with us here in the church. Feelings into actions. And then finally, number, number five is humility, right? Latin word, humilis, it means lowly, literally means on the ground. It means from the earth. It means low. You know, in the Greco-Roman world back then, humility was not a virtue. It was actually a weakness. You know, those, those Romans, man, they were like, listen, I'm going to humble you. I'm, it's all, it was all about competition and rivalry and domination, Right? Humility is a weakness. And here comes Jesus. He comes along. He's like, man, here's the way of the kingdom. 
humble yourself. What? Yes, humble yourself. Make yourself low. He modeled it. He taught it. Peter teaches it. Paul teaches it here in Philippians 2, 2 through 4. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, right? Kind of the same language Peter's using right here. Having the same love. Be of one spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Man, I read this quote. I heard this quote, and then I had to Google it because I thought, man, this is a powerful, powerful quote. This is F.B. Meyer. He's a, he's a, a preacher back, I think, uh, in the early 1900s. And here's what he says. I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other, and the taller that we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. Next it says, I find now that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other, that is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower, that we may have to go down, always down, to get his best ones. Humility has to be a marker of us as Christians. Has to be. And here's the deal. Humble people that understand their own personal position as Christ creatures, that we're completely dependent on him, that we have nothing without him, that he's saved us, that he's forgiven us, from that place, we can esteem others above us. It's understanding who we are in Christ. It makes it a lot easier for us to uplift and to serve and to prefer others above ourselves. And these five things, man, this is what he's telling us to be inside the church. Now, verse nine, the next verse, he shifts the conversation from our conduct within the church, now our conduct as Christians with non-believers outside of the church. How are we supposed to act? First Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You know, this principle right here is what separates Christians from all other religions. All other groups. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And it's crazy, man. Jesus come along. I'm sure people are like looking at him like, what is going? What are you saying? That's crazy. You know, it's completely countercultural. It goes completely against our human nature. You know, human nature says revenge. Revenge. Why is it? And I know we say this illustration in church all the time, but why is it when somebody cuts you off in traffic, your immediate instinct is mad? Um, think about that psychologically, like from, from the study of the brain, why is it immediately we're mad? It's crazy, right? Human nature is revenge, right? You, you, you know the, the, the law in, in the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, a lot of people think, well, man, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's, that's rough, you know? But really, if you actually study it out, they were taking revenge too far. You took my eye, I'm gonna take your head, you know? You punch me, I'm breaking your legs, okay? Human nature is to, take, is to get revenge, but they limited it, saying, okay, here's the law, you know, you know, one for one kind of a thing. Our nature says, get revenge. And then Jesus comes along, the apostles come along, and they're teaching us, no. When somebody does evil to you, you bless them. You bless them. It's crazy, right? world says repay punch for punch. Jesus says take that punch and give a blessing. You know, the other day, 
uh, Eli and I, we were installing a hitch on the back of the truck. And he's 14 years old, so I'm trying to teach him how to use some tools and, and moments where, you know, I can just, you know, teach him, I don't know, th- you know, things to grow up in, you know. And so we're under the bumper and we're, you know, loosening the bolts, unratcheting the bolts for the bumper. And, you know, obviously it's, you know, <clears throat> the truck's been on the road for, <clears throat> excuse me, a handful of years. And so it's got dirt and debris all up in there. So as we're, un- you know, unratcheting these bolts, dirt is falling in our eyes. You know, he's laying right next to me and I'm laying right here and we're unratcheting. It's like, man, you know, we're wiping the dirt out of our eyes and we're, you know, spitting, getting out of our mouths and stuff. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, Eli, you know, he had been turning to the left to spit, right? He's like, <clears throat> and so, you know, he's ratcheting, he's spitting. For some reason, all of a sudden, he just decides to turn to the right and spit. <laughs> And here I am ratcheting, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to him, and I look at him at the time, he spits in my face. (laughs) And so I've got spit all over my face, so I proceed to hawk the largest loogie and return it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't, but we were... (laughs) We were both laughing, man. We were cracking up. He's like, Dad, I'm sorry, man. I just was like, you know, he just got stuff in his face. And so, you know, the world in those types of moments when they, quote, spit on us, it's like revenge. And, and what Jesus is saying, Paul is, I'm sorry, Peter's saying right here, and it's the teachings of Jesus, is when somebody does something to you, abstain from every version, every kind of revenge, love your enemies, follow the example of Jesus it's really, really important. What does it mean to bless? Man, it means to pray for. It means to ask God to pour out his favor on the person that did you wrong. That's tough. That ain't easy. It, it means to not only say good things in front of them, it also means to say good things behind them. Not only in word, but also in deed. We're supposed to do things to bless others. If somebody needs something, man, we're there. If somebody needs help, we're gonna help. Even though they did something wrong to me, I'm going to do something right to them. Our conduct communicates. And if we want to see the world changed, this is the way we do it. We love. We love. We love. It's absolutely true. So that's a blessing. It goes on to say, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You know, it's the whole sowing and reaping idea here. It's, it's, I'll bless, when I bless you, God blesses me. You know, when we live this life, this, this love your enemies life, and obviously other people are blessed with that, we in turn, and that's by which the way we are blessed from God. Another way of thinking about it is this, man, God's already blessed us with forgiveness and salvation and life in Christ. And we're supposed to take that and share that with other people. Be a blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Now, verses 10 through 12, and I'm gonna close with this idea here. Peter reinforces what he's talking about. He, he again, kind of sums it up. He, he's, he kind of does it a lot. Finally, and, and here, here, we're gonna sum it up again. He starts with this, this word for, and he quotes Psalms 34 right here. And basically what he's saying, if you think about it, he's saying, hey, don't repay evil for evil. Your conduct communicates because God's word says so. We're supposed to act like this because God's word tells us to do that. 
It says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The next verse is, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter gives us an ex, uh, you know, a key to experiencing good life, uh, a good life and good days here on the earth. Now he didn't tell us how to experience suffering free life or a perfect life. No, we're gonna go through all that. But you and I, we can have good days here on the earth. How do we do that? We do this. We look at our conduct. We repay evil with good. We stop lying and manipulating. We turn from deceitful speech and we'll see good days here on the earth. While we bless others, God blesses us. It's incredible. It's incredible. It goes on to say the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I, I love that, man. I, I want God's eyes and gaze upon me. Don't you? In a compa- he's looking at us in, in a compassionate way, in a protective way, in a caring way. And it says, and then the Lord is against those who do evil. Listen, all the people that, that, that take advantage of you and manipulate you, do evil to you, you don't have to worry about getting revenge. The Lord is gonna take care of that. Vengeance is the Lord's, the Bible says. He's gonna, he's gonna handle that. He'll go to battle for us. We're called to share blessing, man. We're called to give we're called, we're called to love. We're called to love. You know, I was thinking about this the other day and, um, <clears throat> you know, talking about revival. We pray, we pray and ask God for revival. God, would you send revival? Would you send revival? Maybe he's waiting on us to, to, to be that, to be the Christ followers that he's called us to be so we can actually see the world changed around us. What if he's waiting on us? You know what I mean? I I feel like I wanna speak on that one day. The idea about let's do what we're called to do. And then we're gonna trust God for for the end result. But maybe we're sitting around praying and we're not doing. We're not going out and loving the people that are really, really hard to love. And he's just waiting, okay, man, wow, this church, love is flowing out of them in exponential way and in a rapid way, man, revival. It's us, y'all. What, what, if, what, if, what if he's waiting on us? This last thought, how do we do this? How do we do this? Matt, how do I love somebody that I don't even like? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's really great. We can read it and then we can talk about it. It's like, yeah, that's really great, Matt. Okay, I'm gonna go on. And I still hate that guy down the road. I'm telling you what. You know, how do we do it? Well, we don't do it on our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. All right, Matthew talks about how with God, all things are possible. So it's God's strength as he lives in us and not only in us, but through us. As the Holy Spirit births the, the fruit of the spirit in us, we, we, you know, he gives us the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that. That's God, that's Holy Spirit living in us. And it's through that power that we're able to go out and love the unlovable and be kind and do good to those around us. Let's pray.